Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, imitating Christ's humility. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now this passage from Philippians might only be four verses long, but it's got a lot of stuff in it that can teach us quite a lot of how we're meant to live as Christians today. Paul begins by reminding us of some of the things that we've gained because we're Christians. He then tells us the difference that should make to the way that we live our lives. And then the best bit is that he tells us how we should do it, which is always helpful, isn't it? But first of all, he begins by reminding us some of the things that we should have gained by being Christians. And I think it's useful to hear the passage again, since it seems a while ago since we heard it. And I'm going to read it from the message version, because I think it's So I'm sorry for those of you who are following it, but I think it's um, helpful and puts it in really simple language to help us understand. It says, If you've got anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference to your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favour. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to give a helping hand. And that's really quite straightforward, isn't it? It's Paul telling the Christians of Philippi how to live, and none of what he says should be news to us. Well, yes and no. On the face of it, loving each other and putting other people before ourselves is something we've known since our Sunday school days, and something that should come very naturally in churches. After all, it's the stuff of every day. It's about how we should live in unity together. At the end of the previous chapter, he was telling the Philippians how to stand together against external conflict, and here he tells us how to guard against internal conflict. And he says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, any common sharing in the spirit, any tenderness and compassion. And the idea is that if any of the Philippians have received any of those things that he's on about, then they've got a responsibility to go on and do what he then describes. And the thing he says should be given, should just be accepted normal for any Christian When he says if there's any encouragement, any consolation, any comfort, any, you know, everything he says, he's not doubting that there is. He knows that there will be. Really, he could have said if fire is hot or if water is wet or if the ground is hard or anything that's obvious, really. You see, all of those things should be a given. And though we often take those things and each other for granted, we all know that they're part of the Christian life and part of the difference that following Jesus makes. But here's the focus of the passage, and this is where he tells us the difference that those things should make to our lives. 
He says, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and of one mind. Being like-minded, having the same love, being of one spirit, of one mind, are all essentially the same thing. They all speak of the same idea, and that is a deep internal unity among Christians. And it's that unity which is the goal. It's that unity that makes all the difference, as we saw with the music group earlier, for example. And to stick with the musical theme, even though I'm not very musical, I want to talk to you about metronomes. In fact, I want to talk to you about 32 metronomes. And since a video can show you much better what I'm about to try and describe than me describing it, I've got a little clip from um, from YouTube, so ignore the bit at the start, <laughs> of uh, 32 metronomes. As you can see, they're all about to be set off at different times. And they're all doing completely different things. I would have the sound on, but it is just like click, 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 click all the time. So you, you don't need to hear that. And in the end, if we leave it, I think it takes about a minute, then they all start to become in time. She says. <laughs> you can see some of them changing. They will get there, I promise. Um, <laughs> and I'll just leave that going, actually. But just keep one eye on that, because it's quite fascinating to see how... You can see that second row in, sec, uh, second and third, actually. They're more or less in time now as well. They started off different. And you can see it gradually sort of moving across almost. And eventually, um, it only takes a minute and a bit, I think, they'll be all in time. Yeah, you, you get the gist. We'll keep it going, though, so you can see it. <laughs> but they're all set off at random times, and in the end, they're all synchronised. And it's quite incredible to watch, because really, you wouldn't imagine that they'd change their timing. you think they'd just keep going. After all, that's what metronomes are meant to do. They're meant to be able to keep time. But why did that happen? How did that work? And you can see that it really is working now. There's just one down this side that's really not in time yet. But other than that... <laughs> The rest of them, the rest of them, that's not, not too bad, is it? 31 out of 32 so far. But it's to do with the fact that they're on the same surface, and that surface is slightly movable. So that surface that they are all connected to is moving them all and influencing them all, and it's that that they rest upon that makes the difference. Or think of it this way. In the words of Toza in The Pursuit of God, he said... Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos, all tuned to the same fork, are automatically tuned to each other? They're of one accord by being tuned, not to each other, but to another standard, by which each must individually bow. So 100 worshippers meeting together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be. Where Were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God and strive for closer fellowship? So that took long enough for them to all be in time, so I'm glad to see that. And that, that'll do for that, thank you. But by following God more closely, by having the same foundation, we'll naturally become closer together. But being like-minded 
doesn't mean a cloned behaviour. It means a call to have attitudes like Christ, loving and accepting one another, even though we're different. Remembering that it was God who made us different and we're all equally important. But we should be like-minded in our obedience to Christ and in our care for others. And unity brings with it strength. Think of it this way. Snowflakes on their own are just fragile little things that disappear in an instant. They don't make much difference at all. But a whole lot of them will. Snowballs are quite brutal if you're at the wrong end of them. And a heavy downfall can grind the country to a halt. You see, things, when they stick together, when they're like-minded, when they're focused on the same foundation, make a huge difference. The purpose of unity isn't just so that we'll all get along with each other as much as possible, though that's obviously a good thing, but it's so that we're stronger together. And like I said before, Paul was on about in the previous chapter, standing against external conflict, and here he's on about standing against internal conflict. And unity and strength together will mean there's less likelihood of serious internal conflict too. So unity is the aim, and Paul tells us how to achieve it. I love the fact that we're told how to achieve it, because quite often we're told what to do, but not how. So it's quite nice when he says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. That's the first step to this kind of unity. That's the first attitude that we're told we shouldn't have, selfish ambition or conceit. We need to make sure we don't have those self-centred attitudes. Instead, we need Christ-centred attitudes. True Christian unity can only happen when we have Christ-centred attitudes. So we need to get rid of selfish ambition. That's not to say that ambition's wrong, just that ambition that looks out only for ourselves is, and is selfish. Is In place of these things, we should have other attitudes. And Paul goes on to tell us what those things are. He urges us, to count others as more important than ourselves. One of the keys to this radical way of living in the second half of verse 3 is do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significantly than yourselves. Now that can be hard, can't it? Society tells us that we need to be the best, that we need to be the most successful, that we need to have the most, we need to earn more, do more, need to live a certain way and be the best in everything. But the Bible doesn't say anything like that at all. It doesn't, ever see, needs, it doesn't ever say that we need to live in a world where we think ourselves as superior to anyone else. And it's not even about what other people have achieved in life either, because if we thought only about that, then we'd be missing the point. The point is not what others are, but what we count them to be. Regardless of what they do and who they are, or what we might think of them, we're told to count them as more significant than ourselves putting their needs before our own, and taking time to encourage them and build each other up. If we thought of ourselves more important than each other, we wouldn't get very far, would we? But under God's guidance, we should work together for his purposes. And as we think of others as better than ourselves, we'll naturally have a concern for their needs and what their concerns are. This sort of outward-looking mentality leads to a unity among each other. Because if I consider you above me, and you consider me above you, then if we all truly thought of each other as better than ourselves, then an amazing thing happens. We have a community where everyone is looked up to, and no one is looked down upon. And it's that kind of unity. It's that kind of like-mindedness that Paul's on about. And it's humility that helps us achieve that. 
Our commitment to view others as more important as ourselves comes from an attitude of humility. Humility, or loneliness of mind, as some versions say, is the opposite of what we find in culture today. So often I think we live in a society of rights without responsibilities, an, action, an attitude of being owed something, a sense of entitlement. But humility is the opposite of that. It was John Riskin who said, I believe the first test of a truly great man is humility. I do not mean by humility doubt of his own power or hesitation in speaking his opinion, but really great men have a feeling that greatness is not in them, but through them, that they could not do or be anything else than God made them. When we acknowledge that all we do is because of God's grace and power, then we won't be able to be anything but humble. But why should we have this sense of humility and lowliness? Why do Christians walk through life feeling like they owe people a sense of service or something? Well, the answer is that Jesus loved us and died for us and forgave us and accepted us and gave us eternal life and made us heirs of the world when he owed us nothing. He treated us worthy of his service when, quite frankly, we're not. He put his own interests... He didn't put his own interests first, rather, (laughs) but put ours first. He counted us as greater than himself. And that's where humility comes from, God's grace. And actually, it's quite overwhelming. Both the grace showed through us on the cross through Jesus and the grace that we need every day to forgive us when we mess up time and time again. And it's because of that that we need to be like the same to others. We need to put others before ourselves and not look only to our own interests, but the interests of other people. And it's this uh, this attitude, this concern for other people that we need to have in our lives together. This step to the kind of unity is completely contradictory to the attitude of the world because humility is about the least attractive thing to the thinking of this world and it was the same back then. The ancient Greeks considered this lowliness of mind to be a fault, not a virtue. But the last thing is looking out for the interests of others. If we look at verse 4, it says, Let each of you not look only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. We could easily interchange the word interest there for a moment. We could say, let each of you look for your own concerns, or your own property, or your own family, or your own health, or your own reputation, or your own education, or your own success, or your own happiness. Don't just think about that. Don't have desires just about that. Don't just plan and work towards that but look to the concerns and property and family and health and reputation and education and success and happiness of others. In other words, it's a way of saying, love your neighbour as you love yourself. That is, make the good of others your focus and your interest and find your joy in making others joyful. Paul doesn't tell us that it's wrong to look out for our own interests, but to only look out for our own interests is... And as we put away our selfish ambitions, our conceit and our tendencies to think too highly of ourselves, we'll naturally have a greater concern for the interests and the needs of others. But all of these attitudes are absolutely essential if we're going to have a shot of having the unity that produces joy that Paul was on about in the first place. That doesn't mean that these attitudes will automatically guarantee such unity. It's all... It has to be centred around the truth that comes through Jesus alone. So holding on to that truth and taking up those attitudes 
we surely can have the unity that produces joy that Paul was on about. Unity is our goal. Humility and putting others before ourselves, truly putting others before ourselves, well, that's our challenge.